The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody tonight. Welcome. So we've begun this grand adventure looking at uh, Guy Armstrong's book. Some of you maybe have decided to purchase it. I forgot to bring it up here, but uh, if you'd like to get a copy of this complimentary text that we'll be using for several months, uh, we asked Moon Palace Books to carry it. It's Emptiness, a Practical Guide for Meditators. Guy Armstrong is a wonderful teacher here, one of the senior teachers at Spirit Rock and also one of the guiding teachers at Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. And Moon Palace Books is about five blocks south on Minnehaha Avenue, um, maybe like 34th and Minnehaha. And they'll sell it for 20% off for Common Ground people if you're interested in having it. And this is chapter three. And in that chapter, Guy talks about the Buddhist teachings. You know, if we, as the Buddha does, he says, this experience we're having is empty of self, empty of what belongs to self. And so if this isn't me or mine, right, well then what is this? What is this reality? So the Buddha has two main ways of instructing us, like to be able to, in a sense, answer that question directly in our practice, not as a metaphysical truth that we believe in, but like how do we address, like what is true? What is our experience? And these two ways are quite related. One is using the six sense bases or six sense gates, which I'll explain. And the other way, related way, is this teaching on the five aggregates. We'll talk more about that next week. But the, um, you know, really, the whole point of the practice, of course, is stabilizing the awareness, right? We're cultivating the continuity of mindful awareness, so that this mind, the knowing mind, awareness, can connect with the way things are. And then the insight is, as we connect with the activity of the body and the mind, we connect with the present moment the way it is. The insight, what the mind comes to understand, is that this experience is empty, right? So this is this provocative term that will be we've been looking at the last few weeks and will for the next several months. It's really noticing or waking up to what this moment is empty of. Well, you could say, like in terms of these teachings on the six sense gates, we'd say that when we look carefully with a stable, honest, simple awareness, we see that the moment is empty of anything except for these six things being known. Sound is being known. Sight, seeing is being known. Smell and taste is being known. Sensations, touch, right, is being known. And then the sixth sense in a Buddhist context, mental activity, thought, emotion, is being known. And that any moment of experience is empty of anything but one of these or some combination of these six things. So again, it's really important that we don't 
slide into using the Buddhist teachings on emptiness to sort of have some belief or some metaphysical idea of what we think the Buddha is telling us reality is all about. He's just saying when you look at your subjective experience, when you pay attention to what a human being can actually pay attention to, you will find it is simply these six things being known. It's some combination. Seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing, and mental activity being known. And that our experience in the past, in the present, supposedly, probably in the future, will be empty of anything more than something being known. One of these six things being known. You can imagine and you can reflect on your most sublime, deepest experience you've ever had in your life or the most difficult experience you've had in your life or the experience you're having right now or the most ordinary experience. And you'll see, you can deconstruct, you can look at that experience or even if it's something that's already happened, remember that experience and you'll see that it was simply these six things being known. Now, I know it seems much more substantial, like, you know, I always give the example. I'm at Common Ground, it's Sunday night, I'm here with other people, I'm feeling this way, this is the kind of day I had, this is what I expect tomorrow will be like. That just feels so much more involved, so much more substantial than hearing being known, seeing being known, thinking being known, touches being known. But when we actually look at that subjective experience that seems so rich and complex and you know expansive in the sense like my past, my future, what's happening now, what I think you think of me, what I think I think of you, it feels so much more substantial. But it's mostly because that, you know, the reason why this simple approach doesn't seem to really capture reality is we're confused by the content of our thoughts or thoughts and images. We have a confused or we could say diluted relationship with mental activity. We take thoughts to be more than what they are. Like we all know we're going to die. I mean, just to take a provocative example, right? But right now, if we have, if I have the thought, you know, however I might imagine it, you know, an old man taking his last breath or getting hit by a car on my way home tonight or whatever I might just bring to my, you know, imagine with my imagination, that is just a thought being known. It has nothing to do with mortality in a direct and immediate sense, right? It's a thought about mortality a thought about dying, right? So it's a thought being known. And then, you know, maybe if my imagination is good enough, there will be some charge, some emotion with the thought. And then that will be a feeling being known, right? Some combination of, you know, mental activity and visceral sensation being known. But it seems like when I think about my death, like, there's a me who's going to die. I mean, it seems really substantial. Or there was a me who was born, you know, in 1958. And 
did this and then did that and had this experience, which are thoughts being known, thoughts being known, thoughts being known, emotions being felt. So the past exists as a thought being known. The future exists as a thought being known. And of course, if there's any emotional charge with thoughts about the past and thoughts about the future, that's a feeling being known here and now. Thoughts about people we're in relationship to or things we care about. What gives our life a lot of depth and substance and, of course, most importantly, a lot of psychic weight, entanglements, right, is because we're confused about our thoughts. We presume there's more here in the moment than is here. And that when we do the two things that the Buddha suggests, first thing we do is we train the mind to be stable, the awareness in the mind to be stable, to be clear, to be non-judging, to be alert and relaxed. Right? This is our mindful awareness practice. We're basically developing this instrument or this mental muscle to be able to be steadily aware in this clear and non-judging way, unflappable, unshakable way. And then we use that awareness to basically observe the activity of the mind and body or to observe the present moment. And then when we do that, the only way we do that, I mean, what always happens when we're being mindfully aware is something's being known. Right? There's that reflective knowing, okay, in this moment, this is being known. This is being recognized. It's like this now, now this, now this, now it feels like this, and now this. Right? So the mind is comprehending moment by moment. And in that comprehension, it's really getting, you know what? It's pretty simple. Turns out it's just these six things being known. It's never more complicated never more substantial, never more than that. It's empty of anything beyond that. And as that dawns on the mind, we call that insight, because it's shocking. We, Because of our misunderstanding of thought and the stories our thoughts construct, we have these very elaborate, ideas about what this is, who I am, you know, what reality is, because it's much more about the thoughts, the content of our thoughts, than about the actuality, which is something is being known, something is being known, something is being known. Now, this is something that we have to practice and check out in order to understand how shockingly surprisingly um, transforming it is to realize the underlying nature. It's always been this way. It's not like we wake up to something new. We just, in this practice of developing the stability of awareness and then turning that awareness to the tracking of present moment experience. So that means the mind, the awareness in the mind is opening in a way that isn't being confused by the language, by the thoughts we have. So it's 
you could say it's connecting with the present moment in a way that's not mediated by our thoughts about things. The thoughts may be there, but we're not confused by our thoughts. Like we can, you can have this experience right now. You can be here listening to me, seeing, feeling your body. And you can be here and be confused or your experience being molded, shaped by your thoughts, the story you have about what's happening. Or you could train right now being aware of being here, being in this moment, and not being confused, not your mind not dependent on whatever story or thoughts you have about common ground, about me, about you being here. Right? Do we need our thoughts about this moment in order to be intimate with the moment? Like, do I need my thoughts about how I think this talk is going? Or do I need my thoughts about who I think you are and whether you're doing a good job listening? Or my thoughts about anything, like whether the Buddha knew what he was talking about. We don't actually need our interpretation, our narration, our thoughts about things to be a human being and to do whatever's next to do in our lives. We think like we would suddenly forget how to be a human being if we didn't have some ongoing narration. But when we actually check it out, the narration, the story, the thoughts we have about things, they can recede into the background and we become more functional as a human being, not less functional. And of course, if we're going to have a conversation with someone, we need language, we need stories. That's sort of what we swap when we're interacting with people. It's not we like we lose that capacity to talk or use language. It's just we have a different relationship to that internal, you know, that what we call thinking or mental constructions with image and thought. Right? And this is really the essence of these, the Buddhist teachings on emptiness is to train the mind to be mindfully aware in this continuous way, at least for periods of time, of course. It's a, we have a lot of habit energy around distractedness, like being lost in thought. So we need a lot of patience, right? It's not like just because we want to be mindfully aware, we're going to be mindfully aware. We might in a moment or for a few moments before something trips us up and we're back mostly in our thoughts about things. It doesn't mean we're not aware of seeing as being known or hearing as being known or touches are being known, but we're very quickly in our mental interpretation of the touch or the sight or the sound or even our mental interpretation of our thought. We have a thought and then we think about having that thought. right? So the, the kind of go-to thing for the mind, the habits of the mind, what we've learned, what the mind has learned to trust, what has become the dominant habit in the mind, is to think and to live in our thoughts about things. And it's never satisfying, so then we're always a little desperate as a human being to have a real experience. So I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go to a third world country and I'm going to do this eco trip, you know. I'm going to shock myself. I need something to wake up because I feel so disconnected, right? But then when we do that, what do we end up mostly doing? We're thinking about what we're doing, right? And thinking about recording it, you know, and telling people about it and telling ourselves about, and 
judging whether like we're doing a good job being a tourist or a bad job being right we're still lost in thoughts so it's we don't break the habit by doing something special bungee jumping i mean there may be a few seconds when the experience is so intense if bungee jumping is your thing that you're not lost in thought but then for hours and hours days months all you want to do is tell people about your bungee jumping, you know, and think about how you're going to tell them about your bungee jumping, right? And think about the next place you're going to jump off of, or whatever it is, you know, whether it's collecting kitchen utensils or watching interesting programs on TV or reading interesting books or being a political activist. Generally, most of the strategies we take up in life end up just being more thoughts about things. So this practice, do whatever you're going to do, but this practice is changing how we do those things. Like, So maybe your deal is you're going to wash dishes or you're going to be that eco-tourist. But practice doing it in this way that deconstructs experience into something being known. And if that force of that habit to think about things, to narrate your life to yourself kicks in, as it will, then practice observing that, knowing that as thinking is being known. And if there's a charge with that thought, with those thoughts, that charge is being known. And just keep coming back. So when we do the formal sit, let's say you have 30 minutes most days to do your meditation practice, or 10 minutes, or an hour, whatever it is for you. You know, we're just doing what we're going to do all day long, but we're doing it in a more simple environment. We're holding the body relatively still. We're sitting up. We're reminding ourselves to be relaxed. We found a space where the cat is not there and the phone is off and the people we live with know to leave us alone. And we're not too sleepy and not too hyped up and not too hungry and not too full. So we've chosen a time of the day that works well enough and we sit down in that relatively simple setting and we practice stabilizing awareness and relating to the activity of the mind in this very simple way. Something is being known. Something is being known. In order to have the insight that this is empty of everything except something being known. There is nothing more to this life, to me, to you know whatever you want to refer to it as. There's nothing more here than something being known. And you might think, oh, that's so depressing. Right? But that's a thought being known. If you, if you just keep doing the practice, the actual experience is one of being lighter and lighter and freer and freer and a more uh, like a, a deeply healing sense that it's okay. That living my life, showing up, doing what needs to be done is okay. That we can really give ourselves to this activity we call my life. We don't have to be afraid we don't need to be neurotically dependent on things being this way or that way. We really learn how to be fearless and do 
live in a way that's really generous and good and skillful, all of that naturally flows out of understanding the way it is. In the same way that if we're caught in our thoughts about things, we tend to live in a very entangled and heavy and fearful and needy way. We kind of get ourselves in a corner in life. We're in a really burdened place, weighed down by all the ideas we think are true about our situation. We start to suffocate. And the only thing we know to do is to kind of get more in our thoughts. We try to think our way out of the difficult experience, but the consequence is we get more removed so we feel less enlivened by our life, deadened by our life, right? So we get more desperate to solve our problem, our existential problem. And so how do we, what is the main way we try to solve our existential problem? Is we think about things. How did I get into this problem? What can I do about it? So we get more in our thoughts about things, less connected, our experiences less satisfactory, more hollow, less satisfying. And if we're fortunate, you know, instead of giving up or instead of, you know, becoming addicted to anything that gives us a little juice, you know, we stumble upon these teachings, which is basically the Buddha saying, hey, there's a way, check it out. It's a way of stabilizing present moment awareness, lots of techniques to help us, like the simple one we did tonight, breathing in, train awareness to be intimate with the whole body just as it is. And then, right, so we're not saying like for 30 minutes, intimate with the whole body just as it is. No, just for the duration of one in-breath. Okay, good. Whether you failed or not, fine. Now, for the duration of the exhalation, do your best to be intimate with the sensations of the whole body just as they are. Right? And then, of course, when distraction arises and something in our experience, a sound, a thought, an emotion, whatever it is, reactive pattern, it arises, and whether we want it to be or not, it's in the forefront of attention, it's being known, then that's your meditation object. So then, breathing in, knowing that this distraction is something being known, whatever it is, whether it's a mental activity or a physical activity, it's just something being known. Something being known with the out-breath. Something being known. And then to notice, to let it fall away on its own, because... That's what thoughts do, that's what emotions do, that's what reactive, afflictive patterns do. They show up because of certain causes and conditions, and then eventually they pass away. And if we can relate to it without attachment, without taking it personally, it's just something being known, then it's much more likely to pass away relatively quickly. And we notice that. Oh, now with This moment is empty of that drama that was there a moment ago. And then we come back to the basic training. Breathing in, sensitive to the body, to sensation in the body, just as it is. Maybe it's a predominant sensation like knee pain. Maybe it's the whole body together. It doesn't really matter. Because what's more important is the continuity of present moment awareness. Not what the object is so much, but that the mind is realizing this is being known. In this moment, 
this is being known. And that this could be the entirety of your present moment experience, like hearing, seeing, sensing sensation, knowing thoughts, all of that together being known, sort of really broad connection with the present moment, or it could be just some very specific moment of experience being known, like a feeling the cool breeze from the window above me, you know, moving, I can feel it a little bit against my skin, the cool draft, right? Oh, sensation being known, coolness is being known. So whether it's a very broad or a very specific, a gross experience, a subtle experience, a pleasant experience, an unpleasant, what is more relevant is it's something being known, something being known, and in this moment, something being known, that that's all there is. It's just this being known. Right? And the moment is empty of anything else. It's just this being known. And like I said, when, there, when we get some momentum and some integrity with the practice, we start having little shocking insights like, that's actually true that this is being known, and that's it. And it's like a huge weight in that moment. It may last for only that moment. It's like a huge weight we didn't even realize was there, like carrying an 85-pound backpack, right? But we've had it on so long we've forgotten that we're living our life with this 85-pound backpack. And then in just one moment, it's like it's not there. And it's such a relief. Right? It's sort of because we don't realize it because the habit is so chronic of the existential weight. Now that existential weight, it isn't like somebody is pushing down on us that existential weight, like how hard it is to be a human being. How difficult it is to have such a long to-do list how painful it is to have done so many foolish things in the past that sort of haunt me, how concerned, you know, how heavy the fear is about what I have to navigate in my future. Right? It feels like that stuff feels, that's what feels real, doesn't it? Most of the time, it feels real. And we get a little break when we're reading a really engaging book or watching a really fun show or having a engaging conversation, you know, or something else shocks us out of that. It's interesting how even really terrible experiences can shock us out of all that existential weight. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like when somebody close to you dies and all of a sudden none of that stuff that normally haunts you and burdens you and weighs you down, it's like, it's just not important. Your mind is sort of, this thing is so engaging that the mind has jettisoned, dropped everything else. But then, you know, we figure out how to be a neurotic human being again, and we pick it all back up. <laughs> Load the backpack. Oh yeah, this feels familiar. <laughs> and we go on with our lives. Or, you know, instead of waiting for something to shock us out of our sort of deluded sense of carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, or we can train in these teachings that the Buddha offered, cultivating the continuity of present moment awareness, taking that continuity of present moment awareness 
turning the mind, the awareness back on the mind, on the present moment experience, tracking it in this very particular way. Okay, this is being known, this is being known. And you can use the six sense gates. It's a simple way, one way, and I'll talk about another way next week, to train your mind. So it's hearing, right? So five or just our five senses. In Buddhism, we call that body. So the body... The body, we think, oh, this is my body. No, the body is this capacity we have to be sensitive to the world in five physical ways. Eyes are being touched. Ears are being touched. Skin is being touched, right? Tongue is being touched. Nose is being touched with with sensuality, with sense experience, right? So that's why these are called body. And then the mind is being touched in an internal process, thinking, or just the movement of mind, the movement of mental activity. On one end, you have kind of more of an emotional movement that can be known. At another end, maybe more abstract, like an image or a thought in terms of language can move in the mind, right? But clearly, that activity of mind is also known, just in the same way that sound is known or sight is known or smell, taste, and touch is known. And so when you stabilize your awareness, you come into your sitting posture. Of course, you want to do it all day long, but you specifically train during your formal meditation time. And then, you know, like doing what we did earlier, you know, breathing in, sensitive to the whole body, so that's sensation being known. And whether that sensation is the sensation of the whole body together or a particular sensation in the body that tends to be, in that moment, predominant, kind of coming into the forefront of attention, okay, sensation is being known. It may be painful, may be pleasant, may be neutral, may be subtle, may be gross. But the important thing is just, in this moment, it's just this sensation being known. And then if something strong, some dis- what we would call a distraction, because it's not your basic training ground, aware of the whole body as you breathe in, aware of the whole body as you breathe out. It's not really a distraction because now it's your meditation object. Because it's predominant, because it's sort of grabbed the attention anyway, then okay, thinking is being known. And maybe it's a very particular kind of thinking. Planning mind is being known or worry is being known or fantasizing is being known. Future, thinking about the future is being known. Thinking about the past, memories being known. But whatever it is, the important thing is, it's just something being known. And this moment is empty of anything else. It's just this, being known. So we're really tuning into the simplicity of the moment. We're not trying to make something happen. We're trying to see how sim- moment by moment how simple it is this existential situation of being a sensitive being. It's just something being known. And in that way, we're noticing what it's like to be aware when the, uh, the experience isn't mediated by all our stories, by the content of our stories, by the you know, meaning the stories seem to bring to the present moment. We're getting some space, some freedom from that, 
and we're seeing things in a more direct, immediate, and simple way. And we're letting that have its effect on the mind. It changes how the mind understands. And in particular, it changes how the mind relates to thought. That's really what we're transforming, how the mind relates to its mental activity. We're not, we, it's, it's so nice. We don't have to stop thinking, which would be dysfunctional, right? To not be able to think would be very problematic. We're just changing how the mind relates to thought. And that's what we call wisdom. Ignorance is believing our thoughts as the truth. I don't know about you, but thoughts, first of all, a lot of my thoughts aren't very skillful, so to take them as true is definitely problematic. But all of my thoughts are just thoughts. Like, I'm at common ground. That's a thought. But that thought is not the direct and immediate experience of being here. You see the difference? Or like, I'm married. That's a thought. And see, that thought can dominate my mind. But that's not actually the very dynamic experience of living with another human being, getting along with another human being, you know, having a sexual relationship with a human being, navigating power dynamics with a human being, observing how my cultural conditioning expresses itself in a relationship with another human being, Right? That experience is very different than the idea I'm married, right? So thoughts are just thoughts. It's the thought, whatever the thought we have about you or your life or the people you're around doesn't really have much to do with your direct experiencing of your life, the immediacy of experiencing your life. And so we're really shifting the balance where the thoughts you know, have a functional role to play, especially like when we're interacting with others. We need language. We need the shared stories. That's how we build community and culture, shared stories. But within our subjective experience, they're often diluting because they tend to substitute for a more direct, immediate and simple way of being that is liberating and conducive of all the wholesome qualities like fearlessness and an authentic love, right? Because, you know, love isn't an idea. Love is an experience of no boundary, no separation. That's what love is. What separates us from our own life and from others? Our thoughts, like, I don't know you. Like, whatever that thought is, it separates us. Or you're this way. This is who you are. I know who you are. You're this. You know, you're Mary. You're like this. And that idea immediately, in my direct subjective experience of being with another human being, any fixed idea I have about you is a separation. Because the only way we can meet is when it's in that simplicity of the mind not being confused by any thoughts that might be showing up, any fixed views. Then we can be in the moment, in the interaction, whatever that is. 
seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the movement of mental activity. All of that in motion, all those things move. Sights move, sounds move, sensations are always moving, smells and tastes to some degree are moving, and thoughts or mental activity, it's moving. It's a very wild, unfixed thing, life interactions with other people, everything. It's just wild and alive. But that's not how we experience life because what are we? It's only our thoughts about things that make life feel static and fixed. It's the identification the mind has with its thoughts about things. But that we can realize the mind empty of those fixations, empty of those attachments through this simple process. Again, and then I'll open it up for discussion, right? Using the Buddhist teachings on the six sense gates, right? It's just a more refined teaching on mindful awareness where we stabilize present moment awareness and then we use that to look at our subjective experience in terms of these six things being known in some combination, right? Hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, seeing, being known, mental activity, being known, training the mind. And so if you get lost in your practice, then what's the mind knowing? Just ask that question. So what's the mind knowing now? What's being known? Oh, this is being known. This is the predominant experience. Seeing is being known, or hearing is being known, or feeling sensation is being known. Sensation is being known. Thinking is being known. Emotion is being known. It's so easy to start over. Don't try to get back somewhere. Like when you've been distracted for a while, you've been lost in thought, and then mindfulness is there, and you recognize you've been lost in thought, then just realize, okay, this is being known. I don't need to judge myself. I don't need to be frustrated because it's already something is being known. But if frustration does arise or some judgment like, oh, I shouldn't have been lost in thought, if that does arise because of habit, then just notice, okay, judging is being known. So in this sense, mindfulness doesn't care what's coming and going. All that matters is there enough wisdom to recognize enough faith in this perspective the Buddha is offering us to recognize, oh yeah, this is being known. It's really that simple. And you don't even need to try to see that it's empty of everything else because that will just dawn naturally on the mind. If you just stick with the practice, this is being known. Really keep it simple. Keep it relaxed. This is being known. This is being known. Remind yourself, like if it's confusing, well, it's got to be one of these six things. And usually when we're doing formal meditation, it's not smell or taste. They're generally not the predominant experience, right, when we're sitting. So, you know, seeing, and you know, if our eyes are closed, sometimes mental images are pretty strong as a predominant experience. But, you know, usually it's sensation, thought, uh, sensation, hearing, or thought being known, Right? So that's pretty easy to recognize. Oh yeah, this being known. It's so easy to start over again. And then we just sustain it as long as we can until we get lost in thought again. And when we're lost in thought, can you practice? No, because you're lost in thought. But at some point, the mind will recognize, oh yeah, this has been going on. It's like this. And then you're right back 
And no need for frustration or judgment. Just get right back in the mode. Right? Oh yeah, I don't quite get what the Buddha is pointing to, but it makes a lot of sense for the mind to train itself to be intimate in this very simple way. This is being known. This is being known. How could that be harmful? How could that be counterproductive to be able to track present moment experience? Why would be people so be so enthusiastic if there wasn't something to it? Right? We need to get over that initial hump until we start having some direct experience about how transforming, how useful it is. You, you know, so borrowed faith initially. So that's why I'm sort of Baptist preacher, like, do it, do it, right? And until you get to the point where you know why you're doing it, you really have seen like, oh yeah, this changes everything. This changes everything. Getting to know experience in this simple way. There's always going to be pushback because there's a lot of momentum. This addiction to the meaning our thoughts construct. There's a lot of addiction, a lot of momentum. So be very forgiving about how strong that gravitational pull back into thinking about things, into our mental interpretation, cycling, endless proliferation. But because this makes so much sense, we're going to stick with it. We're going to stick with it. And then eventually, it not only makes a lot of sense, but we're having actual fruits from the practice that we can point to. There's just seemingly more space in the mind, more equanimity, more resonant calm, more kind of the mind just is less shook by what comes and go comes and goes in life, more resilient, more sort of kind of pervasive sense of well being for no good reason. The world is still falling apart, life is still messy. I still don't have enough money for retirement. You know, those sort of things. But some, without any good reason, some sense that that's okay. It's okay that things are the way that they are. And again, it doesn't make sense except it's true. It's like you feel it, you see it. like Because you know it's just something being known. And that it's empty of anything else. And I find this to be the most pragmatic and useful use of the Buddhist teaching on emptiness to see that when there is the continuity of awareness, mindful awareness, to notice how simple that is, this is being known, this is being known, and to realize, to notice the insight that this is empty of anything else. And in particular, it's empty of anybody having a problem. Right? It's empty of anybody having an existential problem with anything. But that's an idea that points to the actual experience that I'm pointing to, right? The self, the moment, the person, empty of any problem, empty of any weight, existential weight. That's the realization, a little glimpse of freedom that the Buddha points to. So I'll leave it here. We have a little bit more than 10 minutes, enough time to hear from three or so people. Always nice to hear your questions or comments from your own practice you'd like to share with the group. Who'd like to begin? Yeah, second row of chairs there. Hi, uh, my name's Mary Laurel, and I guess my question is, so what if 
things that are being known are similar a lot of times. Like, for instance, I guess they'd be judging things being known. Like, that wasn't very skillful, Mary Laurel. If you did this a different way, maybe you'd learn. Kind of, kind of like the sense of how you might learn to be better at what you're doing. So it's mainly in, in with other human beings, something comes that's known. That wasn't a very skillful thing to do. And if you keep hearing the same things being known all the time, what you do with those, do you think about them or just let them go or try to learn to do something differently? I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, that's too much thinking, I know, but mm-hmm. but I feel like the, I've always been taught that's how you learn is you, you contemplate the things that are being known and then you say, oh, I should do something different. Yeah, but that will happen naturally. In our sitting, in our formal meditation practice, when you notice that you're reflecting on what life is the kind of information your friends or reality is kind of mirroring back to you, like get a grip or you better change that habit, right? And it feels like, oh, I should think about this. In terms of meditation practice, just dissect or deconstruct it in terms of something being known. You're neither for nor against the thinking. You're just aware that those thoughts are thoughts being known. And if there's some emotion... That's just being known. And if those thoughts continue, when you're aware that it's just thoughts being known, then they continue. Let them continue. You're not for or against thoughts. But because you're not attached, the thoughts may cease or they might continue. But whatever whatever happens is okay. Outside of meditation practice, it may be may feel important to journal or to talk to a wise friend about something that's showing up in your life that maybe you need to think through and make some different choices. So you might not as easily have the continuity of awareness with that kind of verbal activity going on. But every once in a while, you'll, if your mindfulness has enough momentum, there'll be like a little punctuation where even though you might be deep in conversation with a friend about something that's really intense and important in your life, you might just have a little moment of realizing all of this, all of this self-importance here, all of the significance about what we're talking about is just something being known. It's just something being known. But without those words I just said, right? it will be just a moment because this experience of, oh, it's just this being known, is never that far away no matter how deeply you're lost in thought, in the next moment, the mind can realize this is just something being known. We're never far away from a moment of mindfulness. It's never far away. So it's good sometimes to think things through. There are places where thinking is really useful. Talking, sometimes figuring things out. It's just that we overuse it. (coughs) And we take it to be more than what it is. Yeah, thanks, Mary Laurel. Time for a couple more folks. What else comes to mind? Thank you. Um, is it possible to dehumanize a person by deconstructing the experience of the person in this way? You know, this is this is the visual experience of the person being known. This is the sound and so forth. It seems like. It seems like the experience of Mark should have more weight than the experience of like the breeze coming from the ceiling fan or something, you know. I mean, how how do you how do you apply this to people? I I mean, I think that's where the real work is. I think that's like 
way more challenging than anything we do sitting here and knocking heads with other people. How do we how do we apply this to other people? Yeah, we in relationships. We practice because as you're su- suggesting, Kermit, there are definitely shadows. There's shadows every to every practice, including this practice. So, like while you were talking, you know. I could have given you the sort of, okay, I know Buddhism, it's all about equanimity, it's all about non-attachment, and I could kind of get into the sort of icy stare, like nothing's really happening here, it's just sound, right? And the other person's going to, you know, you know how th- what they're going to think is like, you know, <laughs> is this person having a psychotic break? Or do they just not care, you know? But they're just, I, can, I know one thing for sure, they're not here. So you practice like how to be in this simple place of something being known without that it's not about losing humanity. It's all about finding the connection. It's all about intimacy, right? So you're you've got a strategy, you have a technique, something being known, and then you have to learn don't suppose you know what that technique is. We have to practice it before we really see how it brings us into the moment in a way that is wise and kind. And then we know to trust it. But you'll see, I've done it. I mean, I've made this mistake all the time, you know, with my partner, you know, being mindful. But really, practicing being disconnecting or practicing being controlling. I mean, those are the sort of two habits in my mind in terms of relationship like being ice (laughs) being disconnected or sort of using you know sort of the the wise gaze like i know better or you know that's why i'm silent and deconstructing (laughs) you know whatever (laughs) it just makes people want to hit you (laughs) (laughs) or something or leave the room (laughs) so yeah we we need to be on the lookout because but that would only happen because we're caught in our idea about the practice instead of really following the thread. Like, what is it about? I mean, it's really about connecting and realizing in that moment of connection, something is being known. There is a meeting. There is an intimacy. There is an opening. There's a touching. There's an exposure. There's a wildness. Because what is being known is a very alive thing. The present moment, as an actual experience, is very alive. It's not a static thing, a noun. Yeah. Thanks, Kermit. I think my question is kind of related to that one. Um, so you said um, a reactive pattern is just something being known, and you can let it fall away. So in my it life, might grow too. Um, we don't know if it's going to fall away. Well, that's the maybe the. The hope of practice is that you can recognize it. The hope of practice is to have an honest, kind, wise relationship with reactive patterns. And that, depending on the momentum, you may not be feeding a reactive pattern. Like there may be enough wisdom, clarity in the moment to not be, like I tend to get defensive at times. Sometimes I see the defensiveness pretty clearly, but the defensiveness has momentum. So even though I may not be feeding it much, or maybe even in moments not feeding it at all, but the momentum from the past may keep the feeling of defensiveness there showing up for a while. 
Okay. I'm not to my question yet, but I, I feel like I'm caught in a period of indecision. And the more that I try to be wise and skillful and in the moment, the less I feel able to make a decision. Um, and I don't know, as I practice more and more, I feel like I'm becoming more and more passive. Um, and I don't know if that's fair to the relationships around me or not, but I, I can't seem to make an important decision about an important relationship that I have. And I, the more befuddled I get, the more I try to be in the moment, the less I know what to do. I just live in the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you have any but thoughts isn't, about why how Buddhists call that make decisions? <laughs> why wouldn't that be a decision? Why would what? Whatever you're doing, why call that indecision? Why can't you call that a decision? Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a decision like to Like you don't like the I decision you're making. Why don't you like the decision you're making? And who are you to know that there's a better decision than the decision you're making? And if there were, if you were clear that there was a better decision, why hasn't that unfolded? Right. One thing I did read that said that if you can be in the moment long enough to let fear down, you will know exactly what to do. Do you think that's true? Well, it depends what you mean by you'll know exactly what to do. It's like, there's a great line, I I shared it recently, um, in in Sharon Salzberg's book, Faith, uh, but she tells the story often, or at least she used to, um, about when she was a young sophomore, I think, in college, maybe even a freshman, and she started college really young, so I think she was just 17, and she had decided to take the next year off and go to India to learn to meditate, and it just so happens she was at State University of Buffalo in, in New York, State University of New York, Buffalo, and uh, it just so happens that Trungpa Rinpoche, a very well-known Tibetan teacher in the 60s and 70s and maybe even t- into the 80s, and very controversial teacher, he was doing a tour and so uh, and he, he didn't really give a lecture. He just answered questions. And so people wrote questions down. And he had a pile. And Sharon's turned out to be the first question. And it, you know, so he reads it. And it says, you know, I'm going to take the year off and go to India. And, and uh, who should I study with? So he's asking, she's asking Trumpa Rinpoche, who should I study with in India? And he gives this great answer. He says, and, and this sort of thing, it's best to trust the pretense of chance. Right? So we think like I've got to choose. But maybe <clears throat> this is the choice, you know? And so instead of like putting that burden that I got to make the right choice, we could be just more curious about like, well, what choices are being made? What choices are being made? It will be interesting to see what choice is made, like if something is still in front of us. Well, that's interesting. You know, there's this fork in the road coming up. I'm either going to do this or not. And it will be interesting because it actually will be interesting to see what choice is made and to really get to the place that, you know, this very sincere place that I don't want to cause harm for myself or others. Right. And I, I would like the choice to be something that leads to more freedom for myself and others. But quite honestly, I don't know what that choice should be. Yeah. Thanks. We have to leave it here, Andy. Maybe we can connect afterwards. But let's just take a few seconds and let go of the words. Just enough time to take a couple breaths together.
appreciating that these teachings, they're not simple, or rather they're simple, but they're not easy. So don't be too concerned if you feel, if you find there's a lot of pushback or a lot of doubt or even confusion that comes up. That's okay. It's actually to be expected. We just do the best we can. Stuff that makes sense, then engage those teachings. Other teachings that don't make any sense or don't feel right, just put them on a shelf somewhere in your mind, in your heart. and Maybe later they'll seem relevant. Thanks everyone for being here tonight. Always nice to connect. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.